Well, good evening. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us on Church Online. My name is Christian. We're going to get ready to receive and pray over the tithes and offerings. You know, I'm sure I don't have to tell you, but church is a little bit different right now. If you were here right now, you could see that the sanctuary looks completely different. The seats are empty. You know, there's things everywhere. And for some of us, we're doing church in a different way for the first time. Some of us are watching online. Um, but the amazing thing is this. Our church may look different. The way we do church might be different. But the God that we follow is still the same. He's still valid. And he's still here. And it's because of that spirit of God and because of the faith of those that believe in that spirit that we can still spread his message to over a thousand homes every single week. And if you're feeling that um, on your heart to give, to partner with God, here at New Hope Church, we have four different ways. The first way is on our website at www.newopilo.org. The second way is right on your smartphone. It's on our NHC app. You can always physically mail it to us on 840 Kupulau Road, or you can text the number right down there, and it'll help set up for online giving. With that being said, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray, and I pray that you would take this offering and that you'd bless it and the hearts of the givers. Lord, I pray that this offering would go and you take it to further your kingdom. Thank you so much for continuing to be our provider, Lord, giving our portion. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to continue in our series where we go throughout the Bible. And tonight, Pastor Ben's going to take us through the book of Micah. So let's take a look at this video that goes over a quick summary of Micah. The book of the prophet Micah. Micah lived in a small town named Moreshet in the southern kingdom of Judah, about the same time as Isaiah. And both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel had split long ago, and both had been violating their covenant with the God of Israel. So Micah warned that God would bring the big bad empire of Assyria to take out the northern kingdom and come ravage Jerusalem. And he also warned that after them, Babylon would bring an even greater destruction. Like all the prophets, Micah spoke on God's behalf to accuse Israel, or as he puts it in chapter 3, I am filled with strength, with the Spirit of God, with justice and power to declare how Israel has rebelled. And so most of this book explores Micah's accusations and his warnings of God's judgment on Israel. But Micah also had a message of hope that countered these warnings about the restoration God would bring on the other side of his judgment. And if you dive into the book with us, you'll see how this works. So the first two sections of the book develop Micah's accusations and warnings against Israel and its leaders. So part one opens with the poetic description of God appearing over Israel, just like he did at Mount Sinai. There's fire and smoke and earthquake. But he hasn't come to make a covenant this time. He's come to bring his judgment on Israel for over 500 years of rebellion. Micah goes on to name all of these towns and cities in Israel that are the culprits of all of this rebellion. God's coming for them. But why exactly? 
So Micah picks a fight with Israel's leaders. He says that they've become wealthy through theft and greed. He alludes to the story of Ahab stealing a family vineyard from Naboth in 1 Kings chapter 21. But also it's because Israel's prophets are corrupt. They're quite happy to offer promises of God's protection to anyone who can afford to pay them. No, Micah says, God has withdrawn his protection from Israel. In the second section of Accusations, Micah describes even more how Israel's leaders and prophets have together committed grave injustice. They run the land through bribery, they bend justice to favor the wealthy, and the poor are deprived of their land, their security, and their hope. And all of this is a violation of the laws of the Torah, which declare it illegal to sell land that belongs to families, even if they're poor. And so we find out that God's judgment is going to take the form of an oppressive nation that comes to take out the northern kingdom and Jerusalem and its temple, which will be reduced to ruins. Now these are very stiff warnings, and they're not the final word. Each of these warning sections is concluded with a striking promise of hope. So first is a poem about how God is like a shepherd who's going to rescue and regather his flock, which is the remnant of his people, and he's going to bring them all back to good pasture and become their king once more. The second one section is concluded by picking up this image of the ruined Jerusalem temple, and Micah says this won't be permanent. One day God is going to exalt his temple. He's going to fill it with his presence and fill the city with the remnant of his people. And so God's purpose is to make Israel the meeting place of heaven and earth so that all nations will stream to Jerusalem where God becomes the king of all the nations, bringing peace to the earth. Now, these two concluding poems of hope, they're very powerful. And the next section of the book actually develops them further in a beautifully designed series of poems that are entirely about the future hope of Israel and the nations. So we learn that after the Assyrian attack, Israel will be conquered and exiled to Babylon. But from there, God will restore his people and bring them back to their land. And then we learn that in the new Jerusalem, a new messianic king from the line of David will come. He'll be born in Bethlehem and then rule in Jerusalem over the restored people of God. Finally, in this messianic kingdom of God, the faithful remnant of God's people will become that blessing among the nations. But at the same time, God will bring his final justice and remove evil from his world. The final section of the book returns to this pattern of warning followed by hope that we saw in the first parts of the book. So Micah exposes again the unjust economic practices of Israel's leaders and how it's destroying the land and its people. And here Micah offers his famous words that summarize what it means for Israel to follow their God. He has told you, O human, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is exactly what Israel has not been doing, and so they will come to ruin. However, the book ends with another powerful note of hope. Israel is personified as an individual who's sitting alone in shame and defeat. It's a clear image of Israel's destruction and exile. And this individual is watching for God's mercy, and he begs God to listen and forgive. But why? Why should God listen to and forgive this faithless and rebellious people? Well, the poet offers two reasons. First, he says, because of God's character. Who is a God like you who forgives sin and pardons rebellion? He knows that God's mercy is more powerful than his anger or his judgment. 
And the second reason is because of God's promises. He says, you will stay true to Jacob and show covenant love to Abraham as you swore so long ago. Now, these are the final words of the book. They're an allusion to God's covenant promises to Abraham and his family all the way back in the book of Genesis, that all nations would find God's blessing through Abraham's family. But to become a blessing to the nations, Israel must first be faithful to their God. And so this explains this back and forth between judgment and hope in the book of Micah. If God's going to bless the nations through Israel, then he must confront and judge the evil among his people. But his judgment is what leads to hope. Because God's covenant love and promise are more powerful than human evil, and his ultimate purpose is not to destroy, it's to save and redeem. Or as the concluding lines of the book put it, God delights in covenant love, so he will again show compassion. He will trample our evil. He will toss our sins into the depths of the sea. And that's what the book of Micah is all about. You know, it's so amazing when we look in the book of Micah, we learn that the prophet declared three very important decrees. First, the doom facing God's people because of their attitude. And secondly, the destruction that will take place for their actions. However, the third declaration is one of deliverance that will come out of the acknowledgement of who God is towards us. And these themes of doom and destruction and deliverance is not just one that we hear it from the book of Micah, but it's also relevant in our world today. And tonight we're going to discover from the pro proclamations of the prophet Micah three principles that will help us navigate in a time of doom, destruction, and deliverance. And in fact, our key scripture for tonight is going to be found in Micah 6, 8, and I love that scripture. And it says, Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. Those two words, good and requires. And this is what it says, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so if you're taking notes tonight, the very first point that we want to make is to do what is right. Do what is right. In Micah 1, verses 3 and 5, it says this, For behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will be split like wax before the fire, like water poured down a steep place. All this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? You see, this is how Micah starts to address Samaria and Jerusalem. He declares what's about to happen to Israel and Judah because of their idolatry and worship to false gods. You see, the rise of paganism has now turned the nations of Israel and Judah away from God. And so now God proclaims. He proclaims his judgment upon these nations their rulers, their prophets, and their people because of their attitude of rebuking God and turning their attention to gods of foreign nations, they were now about to be doomed twofold. First, by being invaded and exiled by the nations of Assyria and Babylon, and second, having to deal with the anger 
of our God. Micah 2, 3 says it like this. But this is what the Lord says. I will reward your evil with evil. You won't be able to pull your neck out of the noose. You will no longer walk around proudly, for it will be a terrible time. Man, those are strong words. You see, as the nations continue to worship foreign gods and follow the lifestyles of other nations, rather than worship and follow God, they walked out of alignment with them. See, even their leaders and even some of their prophets were guilty of this. In fact, the Bible says it, and every time I do my devotions, especially when it gets to the kings and the leaders of Israel and Judah, the part that always catches me is when it says they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. You see, they became corrupt and rebellious. And in doing that, they caused the whole nation to no longer seek God's righteousness. You see, God's people were doomed the moment they stopped doing what was right in God's eyes. Now, you know, many of us in this season, especially as parents, we're doing this thing called distance learning. We're doing this thing called distance learning. And I don't know about you, I'm having a great time. I'm lying, just letting you know. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, it's hard for me to, to do distance learning. But I remember being a kid, and my mom had a, had a full-time job, and it was a, she was a single parent. And I remember, especially when I was in first grade especially, I remember every week in first grade, I would have a vocabulary or spelling test. And my mom... Being the mom that she is, she demanded excellence, even when I was in first grade. And so I remember she would test me, she would quiz me, she would make me, she would make me uh, know the words and all that. And then every Thursday night before I go to bed, I remember this very vividly, she would give me a mock spelling vocabulary test. And you see, it wasn't just that she gives me a spelling and vocabulary test, but she gave me her test. And so I remember I would take the words for the week and I would write it out. She'd, she'd say the word and I'd have to spell it and, and, and I'd give it to her. And I remember this one time. See, I remember this one time where I gave my mom my list, the, my, my spelling test uh, list, and I gave it to her. And she looked at me. She was like, what is this? I was like, mom, that's, that's, that's my test. That, that's, that's. And she looked at me and she said, why is it so ugly? I was like, what do you mean? And so, I, and this is first grade. And so, and so she's like, write it better. You need to write each letter nicer. Now, I don't know for some reason, I don't know what was going on. Maybe I had just watched the movie. Maybe I just watched Power Rangers. I don't know what happened. But I had this moment of bravado. And so I looked at her and said, why? Now, if you've ever talked back to your parents, and your parents were those kind of parents where they loved you one second, but you know that they'd give you cracks in the next one. You know that look. You know that look when your parent just looks at you with the eyes that could kill. And it was at that moment I was doomed. I knew, oh my goodness, I just talked back to my mom. She's about to kill me. And she didn't kill me, but she made me rewrite the words like 10 times. Let me tell you right now, I knew for, I knew, that week when I did this, the, the vocabulary and spelling test, I knew I was going to get an A plus because not only was it, was it correct, but it was nicely written. And you see, the reason why I got so upset is because I, I wrote it correctly. I spelled the, the words correct, but in, my, in the eyes of my mom, 
it wasn't right. It was sloppy. It was, it was messy. You see, when we no longer seek what is right, we're only going to find what's right in our own eyes. And in the same way, when we no longer seek God's righteousness, we will only find self-righteousness. And that's the beginning of our doom. You see, you can't have God's righteousness if you're rebelling against him. It doesn't work like that. You can't rebel against God and yet still have his righteousness. See, God's righteousness has nothing to do with what's right for me, but instead, what is right for him. And you see, this is the struggle that we see taking place in our world today. We see this, we see this happening, especially in our nation. We're trying to do what is right, but according to who? Myself? Others? Or is it according to God? Now, I know several uh, messages ago, I, I shared a story about when I bought, a cl- bought clothing from eBay, thinking it was going to fit me. And I was, uh, I was wrong. And I remember sharing that story. And, and the best part about that story was Katie, was, Katie, my wife, was the very one who said, didn't you read the description and all that? And I told her, yeah, but, you know, the, the, it, the sale was going on, and I, so I just bought it. Well, a couple months ago, uh, Katie comes to me and she says, I didn't want to tell you, but, but I bought something for you. I found this website who, uh, who was selling superhero clothing. Because me being a superhero geek, you know, she was like, I, I found something for you. And so she's all excited and she's like, I got it really cheap. I found this really cheap website. And, and the first thing I asked her, the first thing I asked her was, did you read the size? Did you read the description? Because I went through that. I went through thinking I had ordered the right size, but it wasn't American size. It was Asian size. And so I told her that. She's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, I, looked, I looked at it, yeah, it should be good. So she hands me the shirt. It was a compression shirt. Already, bad move. Love her heart, though. But and so I look at it, I look at the tag, and instantly I knew it wasn't going to fit. And so I take it out, and it says my size. It says the size that, would, that I could wear, and I put it on. And what should have fit me was more like an 80s cutoff. Yeah. And I came out of the bathroom, and I came out, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, oh, it's my size. If in, in another part of the world this is my size, because as you can see, this is inappropriate because you can see my belly button. It's the kind of clothes I want to let my daughters wear when they get older. And so she's like, I, 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 saw, I read the description. It said it was, a, it was made in America and all this. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but what website did you go on? And she tells me, I'm like, there's like some really shady stuff on that website. Like, how much did you pay for it? She tells me, I'm like, no wonder. Like, it was like five cents. I was like, what, what? there's no way it was going to fit me. And you know, it's at that moment I realized that's why it's so important for fitting rooms. See, when you go to a store like Target or Old Navy, or, well, I mean, you can't really go there now, but when you go to a store and you want to wear clothing, they have these things called fitting rooms. And what's so amazing is, and I've learned, and Katie has actually taught me this, 
is just because you go to a store and it says it's your size doesn't mean it's going to fit you right. So you go to the fitting room. You wear it. You put it on. You look at yourself in the mirror. I always go to Katie and say, babe, how do I look? And she'll tell me, oh, it looks good. Nope. See, that's the importance of, that's the importance of fitting rooms. Just because it looks right doesn't mean it's right for you. Philippians 3, 8 to 9 says it like this. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Now catch this part. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Not having a righteousness of my own, but having righteousness that which comes from God. You see, like I said earlier, God's people were doomed the moment they stopped doing what was right in God's eyes. And the truth is, we can and we have but we can also continue to repeat the same mistake if we lose sight of God's righteousness and mistake it for our own. See, what I've learned is this. My righteousness will not fit everyone. Your righteousness will not fit everyone. But God's righteousness fits us all because it's Jesus. The second thing is this. We gotta love kindness. Love kindness. See, Micah 3 to 4, three, uh, Micah 3, chapter, chapter, uh, Micah chapter 3, verses 4, and then 9 to 12 says it like this, Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? No, no disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. See, what's so amazing is the prophets of God because they no longer sought the righteousness of God, they actually ended up doing things for money. In fact, it's, it's crazy because they actually started telling people things that was absolutely nothing of God. And you see, after Michael proclaims the doom that has fallen upon God's people because of their attitude of no longer pursuing the righteousness of God, we discover that destruction is going to take place because of their actions. See, because the leaders engaged in greedy, conniving, and ungodly practices, they led God's people to engage in sin. You know, sin is quite simply doing something that's not pleasing to God and goes against His will. And as Micah reveals to the nations and its leaders and prophets, their sin was more than not just following God. Because the leaders and prophets would no longer worship God, they would eventually no longer serve him. 
Micah 6, 16 says it like this. The only commands that you keep are those of Omri. The only example you follow is that of Ahab. Therefore, I will make an example of you. I will destroy you. I will make you the laughing stock of the world. All who see you will snicker and sneer. You see, who you worship determines who you serve. And who you worship and serve ultimately reflects who you love. When we worship and serve our desires or our wants, we're only motivated to love ourselves because that is ultimately who we love the most. But when we worship and serve the Lord, we're not only motivated to love God, but to also be capable of loving each other in the best way. See, when we worship and serve God, we're able, we're empowered to love each other greatly. But when we move away from loving God, we ultimately move towards destruction. And you see, this is where we can discover the destructive power of sin. You see, sin is destructive because it not only separates us from the love of God, but also how we love each other. See, when we when we come back to the heart of worship and serving the Lord, He builds up our capacity to not only love and be loved by Him, but to also love others. You know, like I was sharing earlier, you know, this has been a really crazy season, especially for parents out there. I know exactly uh, with this distance learning. In fact, the brand new school year started, and I think we're in only in week three, I think. Week three. We're in week three, and it's so crazy. I remember uh, when, when week one happened, I was sitting with uh, my daughter, Brianne, who's, who's in kindergarten. And I'm like, okay, baby, we're going to do your homework. And so, so the, first, the first instruction that she gets is, okay, you have a small little paper uh, booklet, so I want you to read it. And on the booklet, there's only two words. I hop. And so I'm thinking, you know what? Brianne, we go to IHOP all the time. You see the sign. You see it on the menu. You see it. You, you got to know this word. And so I'm looking at her. I'm going, okay. Already, like, I have all this joy in my heart. Like, okay, my daughter's going to know this one off the, right off the bat. I said, okay, read it. And she looks at me. She's like, I, I. And, I'm, and there's a picture of, like, a bunny. And I'm like, read, look, what is, what is the bunny doing? I jump. I'm like, no, 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 no. Come on, come on. You can do it. You can do it. Come on. What is it? What is it? I, I, when can I, when can I eat? And I'm like, what are you talking about? We just ate. We just ate breakfast. And, and all of a sudden, I start going crazy. Like, I'm looking at her going, baby, it's I hop, I hop, I hop. We go to I hop. And, 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 and I was like, actually, I'm looking at her and I'm like, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? Like, it's two letters. It's four letters, actually. I hop. I-H-O-P. With a space in between I and hop. And I'm going crazy. And I'm going, and all of a sudden, I look at my daughter, and I can see that she's about to cry. And I look at it, and I, and I realize something. I realize something. Number one, I could never be a kindergarten teacher. Thank the Lord. But second, my love for my daughter is dependent on my love for God. See, that's the crazy thing. I can say I love God, I can say I serve God, I can say I worship God. But out of that comes everything else. Just like my wife. 
I, I mean, Katie knows this. I, sh- I, shared it, I shared her my message. There are so many times where she drives me crazy. Like, I look at her, and I'm like, you are just, like, really? Like, just crazy? You drive me insane. But I'm able to love her, <laughs> thankfully, not because of just me, but because of the love that God has for me. See, what I'm trying to say is this. Our definition of love results in who we worship and serve. And the nations of Israel and Judah no longer did that because they no longer worship and serve God. And because they no longer worshiped and served God, they no longer, underst- they no longer understood what love was. You see, it's the love and the kindness of God that allows us to love and be kind to each other. We discover that the greatest way to worship and serve God is not only upwards, but outwards. When our heart of worship and serving is a reflection of our love for God, we will witness him building up our relationship, not only with himself, but also with others. And when we worship, and when our worship and our heart is for God, we step out of religion and into relationship. See, that's what the nations of Israel and Judah were missing. And that's what our world is missing too. A couple weeks ago, I got a text message from a former youth. And what happened was she had posted something on, she had posted something on Instagram. And one of her friends who doesn't believe in Jesus commented and was kind of questioning her, was kind of just sharing what he felt and all that. And so she texted me and she shared with me what she had told him. And so I, I got the message and I, I was reading it and I was looking at it and I texted her back. And one of the greatest things that she, she wrote was that I always learned from New Hope that it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And I know for many of us, we, we hold on to that, that. We don't have a religion, religion with God, we have a relationship with him through Jesus. And then I got, to, I got to write to her, though. And I told her, you know, I'm so proud that you're able to just love your friend, even though they're questioning, even though they're, they're disagreeing with what you believe. That even though they disagree with what you believe, you're still going to love them. Because out of that love that you display, you show them the God that you worship. You show them the God that you serve, and you show them the God that you have a relationship with. And I ended this, and I I sent her this scripture, and it's because it's my favorite scripture in the entire Bible. It's found in John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, the greatest destruction that Micah prophesied to the nations of Israel and, and Judah wasn't the destruction of the temple. It was the destruction between the, of the relationship between God and his people because they no longer worshipped and served him. And in doing so, they missed out on the fullness of his love and kindness. See, in the destruction that we see taking place in our world, we can reflect love and kindness because of the relationship we have with God 
as we worship and serve him. Can I say that one more time? Because I want us to catch this. We can't just hold on to, oh, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. That's, that's a great saying. But how do we show that? See, we get to show the relationship that we have with Jesus and the love that he has for not just us, but everyone by how we worship and serve him, even in this season. Because the last thing is this. He calls us to walk with humility with him. Walk with humility with God. Michael 4, 5, all the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. See, despite the doom and destruction that is going to come to God's people, Michael proclaims that God will rescue, redeem, and restore them to something greater because of who God is. And unlike the other nations and their gods, the Lord our God invites us to walk with him, to experience the fullness of who he is. And not only would Micah share the accusations and judgment on the behalf of God, but he would also proclaim the peace and hope for God's people. And Micah wouldn't just talk or proclaim about peace and hope, but he would actually prophesy about the coming Messiah. The coming Messiah who would establish God's kingdom and shepherd the remnant of God's people. It would be this king who would bring deliverance into the world. Michael 5, 4. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. You see, what's so remarkable is that we get to live on this side of the spectrum when the prophecy has been fulfilled and the deliverer has come. You see, 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus, fulfilling the prophecy and the promise that Micah had foretold. Jesus came to deliver us out of the doom and away from the destruction that was meant for us on the cross because of God's unchanging love and compassion for us. And I love it because Micah then declares at the very end, he says, who is a God like you? And he continues in verses, uh, Micah 7, verses 18 to 19, he says, who is a God like you who pardons iniquity? and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And he's talking about Jesus. See, that's who Micah is pointing to. He's pointing, hundreds of years before Jesus even, is even born, he's pointing to Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus who came to deliver us from our sins, our mess-ups, our mistakes, and our failures. Jesus who takes our blame and guilt, stomps on them, and throws them into the depths of the sea so that we can walk with God. See, our God is so great, so loving, that he wants to walk with us. He wants a relationship with us. But can I tell you this tonight? Even though we have deliverance through Jesus, 
we must not only be willing to believe, but also be willing to receive. I remember one day, um, we're, at, we're at home, and we live with my mom, guys, and I forget what we were doing, all the kids were home, and so it was lunchtime, and I hadn't eaten breakfast, so I was like, I was starving, and I'm always starving. And so I asked my kids, I was like, hey, kids, are you guys ready for lunch? What do you guys, what do you guys want to eat? And so I asked my mom, guys, and, and I asked my kids, and everybody said, oh, let's order pizza. Let's order pizza. And I was like, okay, I'll go pick it up. And my mom was like, no, 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 go, no have it delivered. No, have it delivered. Okay. And I'm like, okay, mom, you sure? Because in my mind, I'm going, I'm hungry. Like, when you order delivery, you got to wait. When you go pick up, it's like in 15 minutes. Delivery is like 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes. But anyway, I was like, okay, fine, we'll deliver. And so we or- I, I go on my phone, I place the order on the, ma- on the app, and I place the order, I pay for it. Okay, great. And then it says, okay, uh, your, order, you, your, your delivery will be there within 30 minutes. So I'm like, okay, well, that's about half an hour, so, so let's, let's I'll find something to do. And the whole time, the half an hour goes by, I'm, I'm looking at my watch going, okay, the, the pizza guy should be here pretty soon. Like, the pizza guy should be here pretty soon. The pizza guy should be here, okay, five minutes, okay. Okay, hey. Keep an, eye out for the, keep an eye out for the pizza guy because the pizza should be here soon. And so eventually, we're, we're sitting on the parlor, and all of a sudden, I hear a car pull up, and I see the, the emblem on the car. I'm like, ooh, pizza's here, all right! And so I, I, so I hear him coming up the steps, and I'm like, okay, um, all right, we're, we're, the pizza's here, go get ready, I'm telling everybody to go wash your hands and all that. And so I, op- so I open the door, and I go, and of course, you know the conversation that you have with the pizza guy. Oh, how's it going? You ordered pizza? I'm like, yeah, I ordered pizza. I'm looking forward to it. The whole time he's talking, I'm re- honestly, I'm thinking, I'm going to eat this food. Like, I'm hungry. I'm starving. And so I, I give him the money, uh, and he gives me the pizza. And as soon as he gives me the pizza, I open it up, and I take a bite. I take a slice out. And so I'm walking to the kitchen, eating a slice of pizza. And I put it down. And by the time I put it down, I'm done with it. Like, I was starving. So, okay, okay, so we're going to eat, and we're, we're going to eat. And so my mom comes in, and she opens the pizza box. She's like, hey, getting pizza's missing. I was like, mom, I was, I was starving. I was starving. As soon as the guy came, I opened the door, gave him the money, took the pizza, took one pizza, and walked to the kitchen. So I was starving. Now, here's what I'm trying to say tonight. See, when you're hungry... You can order for delivery. You can call, you can order from wherever it is you love pizza and ask for delivery, and they're going to send it. They can even get to your property, but unless you open the door, you are still going to be hungry. See, what I'm trying to, what, what what Micah shows us is this. God is willing to do the 99.99999%. The 0.00001% that's left is for us. We just need to open the door. If there's anything you take from this, because for many of us, we might be saying, well, I believe in Jesus. I'm going through doom and destruction right now. So where's the deliverance? Can I say this to you? You might believe in Jesus, but have you received him? Because don't mistake the act of deliverance for being delivered. God wants to completely deliver us from the life we once had. 
He calls us to walk with him. And that's what our world needs right now. You see, it needs those who walk with the light of the world to bring his light into this world. We can read our Bible. We can listen to every sermon. We can go on every live stream. But unless we're walking with him, we will never move forward. Because he not only delivers us from the doom and destruction of our past, but he reveals the purpose and the plans to move forward for our lives. He wants us to walk with him so that he can set the pace for our lives. See, before God wants us to be influencers, he wants us to be influenced. 1 Peter 2.9 says it like this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who called you out. When I was a kid, when I was very young, uh, I remember, <laughs> it's so funny because I was just talking to my mom about this, but I remember all those childhood memories, and one of my favorite childhood memories with my mom was we used to have this big black boombox that would play CDs. And every so often, we'd, put, we'd hook it up, we'd put a CD in, and we'd play music. And I'll never forget this. Oftentimes, my mom would show me how to dance. She would, she'd say, come here. And she would tell me, okay, hold her hand like this. Hold, hold, her, hold the waist. And how you dance. And so there we were. Just in the kitchen, dancing. And I remember at the very beginning, I had no idea what I was doing, so I would step on my mom's feet. She said, listen, listen. Follow me. So she said, look, my, my foot moves back, you move forward. Okay. I move this way, you move that way. And eventually, as I got older, or as I learned more, this is what she said. She said, you take the lead. Okay. So I started to take lead. Can I tell you this? I'm going to be honest. When I was in intermediate in high school, I was never afraid of going to the dance because I knew for a fact I knew how to dance the slow dances because my mom taught me. She showed me because she showed me how, how to dance because she led me at first. And in the same way, when it comes to the dance of life, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, who's taking the lead? Is it us? See, Micah says, walk with humility with God. When I walk with humility with God, it means, Lord, I know for a fact, number one, in this relationship, I'm not the top dog. You are. And second, it's not my lead. It's yours. You see, throughout the book of Micah, we, we see those themes. And Micah prophesies. Micah, Micah prophesies about doom and destruction for God's people he also prophesied about the deliverance that was going to come. And in this season, while we may witness doom and destruction happening in our world, let us be reminded that the deliverer has come. 
all that's required of us is to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, love and kindness because of our relationship with the God of love and kindness and walk humbly with God as he takes the lead. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, we come before you tonight, Lord, and, and Lord, what's so amazing in the book of Micah is we learn so much, Lord. We see what's taking place. We see nations that are falling away from you, and because of that, they're facing doom and destruction. And Lord, just like the nations of Israel and Judah, we too will face doom and destruction. Some of us are, are feeling that right now. But what's so amazing, Lord, is that that's not the end of the story. That's not all Micah prophesizes. He talks about deliverance. And for us here, in this moment, we know who the deliverer is. It's your son. It's your son who, sent, who you sent to die on the cross, to wash us clean, to make us brand new, to deliver us from an old life and give us the new life that you have for us. And so Lord, I pray for anyone that's watching right now, that if they're saying, I, I, want, I, I may have... I mean, I'm feeling this doom and I'm feeling this destruction, but I want the deliverance. Then, listen, if you want deliverance, then you need the deliverer. And his name is Jesus. And so right now, I'm going to ask that you, that you repeat this prayer after me. And what's so amazing, it's not the prayer only. It's what you're saying with it. It's who you're saying it to. That, Lord Jesus, I believe in you, Lord. And tonight, I, re- I don't only believe, but I receive in you. I receive you as my deliverer, as my Messiah, as my shepherd. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again to to give me a new life. Lord, help me to do what is right in your eyes. Help me to love kindness and let me walk humbly with you for the rest of my days. It's you, Lord, that I look to. Thank you for not only bringing deliverance to my life, but being my deliverer. In Jesus' name.